First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Just as a reminder, Peter is writing to believers who were suffering terrible persecution. They had lost homes, property, money, possessions, friends, and even family members. They were being persecuted because they were living for Christ and proclaiming the salvation and hope of eternal life in Him. You know, just like in that day, people today, they're willing to hear about hope and salvation and eternal life in Christ, but they don't want to hear about repentance. They don't want to be reminded of the responsibility God places upon us to live righteous and godly lives. Now we recognize the lost cannot live a truly righteous life. But whether it's a lost person who cannot live for Christ or a saved person who chooses not to live for Christ, the expectation is the same, that all peoples everywhere would turn to him. In this setting, Peter is writing, and in this passage we just read, he, he offers words of encouragement to these believers who are suffering great persecution at this time. And he covers five areas. Those five areas, I, as I've outlined them, in verse 13, the glory of God. Verses 14 and 15, the holiness of God. Verse 16, the word of God. Verse 17, the judgment of God. And verses 18 through 21, the love of God. We're on our second of these uh, sections here, these thoughts of encouragement. So today we deal with verses 14 and 15. Now in the first section of this chapter, Peter emphasized walking in hope. But now he's emphasizing walking in holiness. Hope and holiness go hand in hand. We have, of course, that blessed hope, looking forward to the time when the Lord will call us home. That ought to move us to live a life of holiness. The word holy, it's found well over 200 times in the Bible, and it emphasizes being physically pure, morally blameless, or ceremonially consecrated. See, the idea of being holy or being sanctified, it means to be set apart from something 
to something. For us as believers, we are set apart from the world unto Christ. Just as the priests, they were sanctified. They were set apart from the world to their duty, their service, their ceremonial responsibility. Well, we as God's children, God expects us to be holy, to live holy lives. And by the way, uh, the thought of, of being holy or holiness and sanctification doesn't refer just to people. It's referred to in scripture concerning places, temples, cities, the priesthood, as well as men, apostles, prophets, angels, or saints. Now regarding individuals, it speaks of those who are purified and sanctified by the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Romans, Paul wrote, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. This is where we as Christians differ from other religions. You see, we believe every child of God is a saint of the Lord. You don't have to achieve a certain level of status. You don't have to accomplish a certain number of expectations or requirements to achieve statehood or sainthood. No, we are saints because we have trusted in Christ. And being saints, that means we're different. It doesn't mean we're weird. It means we're peculiar. Our life has a quality about it that is different from what? From the world. God expects us to live differently than those around us who know not Christ. Peter addresses that in these two verses. And we'll see here as we look at verses 14 how we are to go about doing that. We notice two things. In these verses, verse 14, we see the expectation, and in verse 15, we see the example. Notice with me, verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. The phrase, the former lusts in your ignorance, refer to a person's lost condition before accepting Christ. Let's face it, every one of us, we were without Christ before we came to know him. We were sinners, lost and undone. But the fact of the matter is, we're still sinners. doesn't change the fact when we get saved that we're no longer sinners. Yet, we find we, sin no longer has dominion over us, so we can choose to live a righteous, godly life. Before Christ, couldn't happen. You understand that. Now we're saved, we are in Christ. But what he's saying here, the former lusts of your ignorance, it's referring to how we lived before we got saved. Paul dealt with this in writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2 when he said, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past said you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, Peter is writing these folks and saying, As obedient children, you should no longer be disobedient children walking after the ways of the world, but you should walk as children who are pleasing and obedient to Christ. A couple of things we note about the old man. Let me, let me just say this. There are a number of ways of referring to the Adamic nature, the fallen nature, the old man, the sinful nature. That's all spe- speaking of the condition of mankind outside of Christ. The new nature, the Christ nature. That's speaking of how we are now in Christ, how we're viewed by God in Christ. Well, the old nature, 
the fact is, that's not eliminated or done away with when we get saved. We still have that old nature. Now, there, I know there are some groups who teach in the eradication of the old nature, the eradication of sin once somebody gets saved. We don't believe that's scriptural at all. We still have to deal with the fact that we have the old nature. We still have the old nature we're dealing with. And that's, it's under, we understand we have two natures now. Before we get saved, there's one nature. After we get saved, there's two natures. And when we get saved, we still have that old nature, but we have the ability for its influence to be overcome in our lives. Well, the problem is for lost folks, they don't have that ability. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We bring this up not as a criticism of those who are not saved, Understanding the natural man, the unsaved person, person, not just man, but person, they are spiritually discerned. We don't say that to be insulting. We're simply repeating what Scripture says. It means they are spiritually ignorant or they don't understand the things of God. So that was a condition of every one of us before we got saved. They cannot clearly comprehend that because they don't have the mind of Christ. We realize that once we get saved, we have the mind of Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit who teaches us. Well, the natural man doesn't understand that. So the natural man, the lost man, is at odds with us as believers. Let's face it. It's clear we're not on the same page as the world, the world philosophy that's out there today. And that doesn't, it doesn't matter as far as what topic you talk about, whether it's politics, uh, governmental influence, religion, uh, social issues. We're not on the same page with the world. We ought to have a biblical mindset. We ought to have a biblical worldview. That means we're going to be differing from the lost. That's one reason the Bible tells us you know, we're not to, uh, not to yoke up with unbelievers, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We need to understand the natural man, the lost man, we're not on the same page. However, carrying it a little bit farther, when you talk about Christians, the backslidden individual is not walking with the Lord. And even though he or she is no longer uh, unsaved, they're, they're part of the family of God, Sometimes we have the tendency to drift back into that worldly way of thinking, don't we? Call it backsliding, calling it getting away from the Lord, whatever you want to call it. The idea is sometimes believers get off track in that regard. So we recognize what he's saying here, we're to be obedient children. We can't be like the world who's not saved. We can't we can't seek to be like backslidden believers who are not right with the Lord because they're walking in darkness. They choose to walk a path of, uh, that's dishonoring, displeasing to the Lord. So what does he expect of us? As obedient children, we are to walk in a way that's pleasing to him. We need to be willing as children of God to allow him to influence our thinking, our thought process, our activities in such a way that it has a meaningful impact on us as believers so that we can effectively 
reach this world for Christ. So Paul, in writing to these folks, they're going through a time of great difficulty, a time of great persecution and struggle. But he said, look, don't let the problems, the circumstances that you find yourself in get the better of you. Keep your eyes on the Lord and be obedient to him. That admonishment is is applicable to us today. In light of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, as a family, a church, a community, or a nation, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and obediently walk with Him and trust with Him and do that which He has given us to do so that we can effectively be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the problem is when circumstances get kind of, you know, built up against us, it causes a lot of us sometimes, I'll say it causes some of us sometimes, to get our eyes off the Lord and we focus on what's going on around us. The scripture admonishes us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Remember, this world is not a friend of Christianity. Christ reminded us of that in several times in his ministry. So this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. He went on to say, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Well, the backslidden, we don't want to be in a state where like Paul addresses the Corinthians saying you're carnal. I can't speak unto you as a spiritual, but as babes. So in order to avoid dropping down into that category of the backslidden Christian, the one following the thought process of the world, we need to make sure we keep our focus on Christ. That's where Peter gets into this thought, and this, this idea of encouragement. We'll spend the rest of our time here in verse 15, where he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You see, the expectation is to be obedient, to walk with Christ, to trust in Him, to live for Him. How do we go about doing that? We follow the example that's given unto us. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So we have a pattern. We have a standard by which we can follow. You see, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians again, he said, you know, they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. It's easy, if you spend any time around people, to find somebody that maybe seems to be on a a lower rung spiritually than you. And you can look at that person and say, well, see, there you go. (laughs) I mean, I'm not that bad. Look at me. I'm a good Christian compared to him or compared to her. Well, God says, you're foolish to be doing that. If you want to compare yourself to somebody, compare yourself to he who is perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the standard we should be seeking to uh, uh, reach. He's the measure by which we should be looking at ourselves. Peter here, by the way, he's referring to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. 
This was an expectation God placed upon the children of Israel as he delivered them from bondage in Egypt and led them on their way to the promised land. Peter pulls this thought forward and now applies it to all believers. God expects us to be holy. Someone has said for the believer, holiness does not end with forgiveness and cleansing of sin but begins with an active life of opposing sin, to be holy. These words were meant to be an encouragement to these folks going through persecution as Peter was writing them. And some of them are thinking, but seeking to be holy, that's what got us in this situation in the first place. And he's letting them know, no, What got you in this situation is choosing to follow the Lord God of heaven who is hated by Satan and all mankind. Anyone who chooses to do right in the face of outward opposition is going to find there are challenges and difficulties along the way. That's why he said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution Believers, we must strive to live obediently before God and thus demonstrate the meaning of the word holy. I think you'd agree with me. The word holy, like many other terms in our English language, get bantered around and used in a lot of ways. I don't know know when it became popular, but using the word holy to precede just about anything out there, you know, Holy cow. Where, where did that expression come from? I mean, if you ever watched baseball growing up, you listen to Harry Carey for the, with the Chicago Cubs. I mean, he, he used that term all the time. But where did it come from? It's interesting that people take good Bible words and they lower their significance or their importance by attaching something else to them. Holiness. Holiness. There's something about that word that ought to mean more to the believer than just another, another English word. It ought to mean something special. It ought to be something of great importance to us. The argument here Peter gives is logical and simple talks about being obedient children. Well, children inherit the nature of their parents. God is holy, therefore his children ought to be holy. We are partakers of the divine nature and we ought to reveal that through our lives. Second Peter chapter 1, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Psalm 99, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord your God is holy. Someone has said the main emphasis of today's religious world makes love instead of holiness the central dominating attribute of God. The victorious Christian life is set forth in the terms and techniques of psychology 
rather than the dominance of the Holy Spirit. It's sad to say, but the conduct, the character of many professing Christians have lowered the concept of holiness in the mind of the lost. You know, there was a day when pastors, churches, congregations were revered and looked up to. Nowadays, many of them are nothing more than a mockery, a laughingstock. How tragic. I believe part of that is because believers have lost sight of the importance of living a holy, godly, sanctified life set apart from this world unto the Lord. I don't know if, if, if the opposition that folks face being called holy rollers, Bible thumpers, whatever, through the years, the ridicule, the opposition, I don't know what it was that caused people to pull away from this measure of holiness. But we can see such actions have had devastating effects in our culture and society today, can't we? Peter is writing to these individuals and seeking to be an encouragement to them. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter what others say or do. You as a believer have a responsibility. Be holy. Be like God. Bob Jones Sr. used to say there's no difference between the secular and the sacred. All ground is holy ground and every bush a burning bush. A.W. Tozier said you cannot study the Bible diligently and earnestly without being struck by an obvious fact. The whole matter of personal holiness is highly important to God. Another has said, everyone is as holy as he or she wants to be. If that's true, and I believe it is, what do you desire for the Lord to do in your life and through your life in this matter of being holy? We have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know what, based on scripture, we know what holy living cost him. And by the way, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He did not sin, as some would proclaim. He did not have the ability to sin. Jesus Christ was God. And in being God, he lived according to the will of his Father. If we are going to follow his example, would we not then need to walk according to the will of our Heavenly Father? What is it? What is the will of God? (laughs) We find it in Scripture. God clearly tells us over and over how to live. We started out this in verse 14, being obedient children. Obedience, it means to do that which we are told to do. 
Well, what does the Bible tell us to do? There are 365 commands in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we've shared this with you in the past, there are over, over 900 commands to the New Testament believer. So for us to step back and say, well, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what, it, what it's going to take to live a holy life. I don't know what God expects of me. For somebody to say that, they must, they're dumb. I mean, just to put it plainly, they're, they're, they not, they're not taking time to read the Word of God and heed what it says. A lot of folks will go to a church service and they'll smile and sit through the service and leave saying, oh, what a nice day. And never again give a thought to what they have heard. Beloved, we need to look to God and his word. Find out what he wants us to do and then what? Do that. We are to be good, not just good hearers of the word, but good doers of the word. So to be holy. It takes effort on our part, to follow God, to walk in His steps, to obey His word, and to accomplish His will. The expectation, be obedient children. The example is the holiness of the Lord God Almighty. May the Lord help us to be obedient children and live a holy life, acceptable and well-pleasing to the Lord.